The EMV Migration Forum has just released a white paper that highlights some of the key points issuers, merchants, and processors need to be aware of as they prepare for the October fraud liability shift date for card present transactions. Today I'm joined by Randy Vanderhoof, director of the EMV Migration Forum, who helps us understand why this white paper was published, some of the key points it addresses, and steps the EMV Migration Forum is taking to help educate merchants and issuers about how the October liability shift date could impact them. Hi, I'm Tracy Kitten with Information Security Media Group. So, Randy, thank you so much for your time this morning. I know that you're on the road, but I appreciate you taking some time out to talk with us because I think this white paper is actually quite informative. The paper has been titled Understanding the 2015 U.S. Fraud Liability Shifts, and it reviews a number of different fraud scenarios that could impact issuers, merchants, and acquirers after the October liability shift date. Are there any points within this white paper, Randy, that you think are worth noting or are there clarifications here in this document that stand out to you? Well, first of all, thanks, Tracy, for having me on today. The report was published really as a way to try to provide a better, clear roadmap for both the merchants and the issuers who are just getting up to speed with EMV to understand what the ramifications are of the change that's going to be happening in October 2015 when the liability shift takes place. And the thing that we wanted to bring out in the paper, and I think the team that worked on this did a terrific job, was to try to, to simplify it down into only the key scenarios where a fraud liability shift actually occurs. And that is when a card has chip technology and used in an environment where a merchant is still only accepting MegStrike technology uh, and a counterfeit transaction occurs, or in a rare situation where a PIN-preferring EMV chip card is used at a merchant terminal that is not capable of verifying the PIN, then the liability would shift to the merchant. Those are really the only two scenarios that involve a shift of liability, but it's important to document that for the people involved because they want to be clear as to what they need to do to meet those minimum requirements to avoid that liability shift. So, Randy, you've answered this question partially, but I'm going to go ahead and ask it anyway. Why did the coalition feel that it was necessary to come out with this white paper now? Did they feel that they were getting a lot of questions from the merchant community? It's all about documenting for the community what are the real conditions that are going to happen after the liability shift. And there's difficulty trying to find reliable sources other than information people read on the, in the media or on the Internet. We felt that it was our responsibility to publish something that was actually vetted by all of the parties involved and can be an authoritative source for what people can plan for with regard to how the liability shift is going to impact them in the future. So, Randy, one thing that caught my attention was some of the discussions surrounding lost and stolen fraud. I didn't think that EMV was going to have an impact on lost and stolen card fraud, but within this white paper, there are some points that are noted by the migration form that touch on lost and stolen card fraud. Yeah, and that was really an important part of this discussion is because EMV does address two types of fraud in the market. It's the counterfeit card fraud, the situation where someone's a PAN data has been copied and replicated and used on counterfeit cards. And EMV chip technology absolutely will make that fraud become a much smaller problem in the U.S. market. But the other type of fraud that exists is when an original or a legitimate card 
is used by an unauthorized user by someone who has had their purse or wallet stolen or has had their card taken without their permission and then used in the transaction. Well, that's not a counterfeit. That's a situation where a valid card is being presented and, and authorized at the merchant level. But there are capabilities in the EMV standard that support four-digit PIN to be entered in addition to presenting the chip card. And that does create an extra level of authentication for the cardholder. And so it will have an effect of reducing the likelihood of a lost and stolen card being used. But as we have read and know for a fact that not all US-issued EMV cards, in fact, a minority of the EMV cards in the US will have that PIN as the preferred method of cardholder verification. And so there was a lot of questions from issuers and from merchants that said, well, what will happen if we don't have a PIN associated with the card and someone uses that card in a lost and stolen situation where the liability stands? And that is why we felt it was important to include that in the white paper. And so, Randy, what is the answer to that question? What will happen if there's not a PIN associated with the card? Well, if there's no PIN uh, preferring or PIN associated with the card and the card is used in a lost and stolen situation, then the issuer maintains or retains the liability as they always have. The only scenario where liability for a lost and stolen transaction would shift to the merchant would be if the issuer's card was PIN preferring but the merchant's EMV terminal did not have a PIN pad that would enable the card to be verified with the four-digit PIN and default to the chip and signature transaction. In that case, the chip and signature would be the least secure to the chip and PIN on the issuer side, which would be why liability would shift to the merchant in that scenario. But that does not apply to Visa cards because Visa has come up with a blanket uh, lost and stolen policy where all issuers of Visa cards are liable for any scenario of a lost and stolen card transaction. Yes, that's an interesting point. I'm glad that you brought up kind of, you know, this anomalous perspective that, that Visa has taken because something else that's noted in the white paper is that not all liability shift requirements are equal for all card networks. So, for instance, as you mentioned, lost and stolen fraud liability shift scenarios noted in the white paper only apply to transactions conducted by a card networks that are run by American Express, Discover, and MasterCard. Why do you think, Randy, that there are these differences here? Is this pretty common among the card networks to have differences like this? No, I really don't think it's that different. It's just a matter of uh, the brand making their decisions about what rules they want to apply with their EMV product solution. And Visa has taken a very public position that they wanted to make it as easy and as simple and as least complex an implementation as possible. And so taking lost and stolen fraud liability off the table, so to speak, in terms of the decisions about how to implement EMV was their decision. The other brands are taking an approach associated with trying to maintain the liability hierarchy to be whichever party is the least secure in the transaction will bear the fraud liability and the same applied for lost and stolen. Randy, would you say that these differences or nuances among the various card brands are well understood by merchants and issuers? Well, I think the issuers, for the most part, are a single brand issuer with the exception of a few large banks. So therefore, 
most issuers know what their brand's rules and policies are. But I think on the merchant side, there's a little bit of confusion because they never really have had a reason to start to look at the unique differences between the different brands. And with EMV, and, and one of the things that is changing is that each of the payment brands does have the requirements to publish their liability shift requirements, and so each of them have chosen their own individual path for that, and that's why there's a slight variation between the brands in that case. So, Randy, we all know that the U.S. will not be fully EMV compliant for some time, and many merchants, as we've repeatedly reported in recent months, will not be able to deploy EMV chip-enabled terminals for a number of reasons. Do you think that non-EMV compliant merchants are well prepared for the chargebacks and or fraudulent transactions that they'll now be liable for once the liability fraud is shifted to them after October? I think as in all discussions about merchant readiness, there is a wide range of awareness and preparedness for merchants. And so it's really unfair to talk about any merchant in the absolute. But I would say in terms of generally speaking, the complexities associated with EMD and the implications of what's going to happen after the liability shift is not well known and there's not a lot of, of history to go by. And so it's really a matter of wait and see. I think some merchants in certain markets are going to see a fairly dramatic and immediate impact on fraud liability moving into their realm from the issuer side because they've been largely protected from seeing that fraud because the issuers absorbed that in the past. But I think in other segments of the market and in other regions of the country, there's not going to be a dramatic change in fraud activity, at least not in the near term. And so some of those merchants will probably not notice that things have changed dramatically. But the key is, do you want to take that chance? And what are the consequences if you, are, as a merchant, are hit with an increase in fraud? You could easily end up spending a lot more money addressing the fraud problem that was created by this than you would have spent in preparing in advance to protect yourself from that type of fraud. So Randy, in addition to this paper that's been published, what else is being done to help get the word out to merchants, issuers, and acquirers about some of these nuances? Well, the EMV Migration Forum, in partnership with the Payment Security Task Force, has recently launched a website called GoChipCard.com. And that is targeted at consumers, merchants, and issuers to provide a very simple, easy, graphically illustrated understanding of the changes that are happening with EMG. And it comes with some downloadable resources and infographics that can be used as part of the education and training purposes to educate their own employees and users who need to be part of this um, education about the changes that are happening. In the meantime, the EMV Migration Forum is still publishing additional white papers and reports. Uh, we're still meeting on a regular basis. Our next meeting is going to be in Washington in two, three weeks. And all of the parties are, are working very hard in getting the awareness out, getting the issues clearly explained and put on the table, 
and trying to see that as many of the stakeholders as possible have the opportunity to have the right information available to them in a timely manner so that they can make the clear business decisions that have to be made with regard to if, when, and how they move towards this new EMV technology platform. Randy, something else. I noted that this white paper or document is listed as being version 1.0. Do you expect there to be updates to this document that are published in the future? Well, I doubt that they're going to see significant changes to the conditions for liability shift, but there may be additions when, for instance, the ATM network's liability dates happened in 2016 and 2017, and when the retail petroleum market is affected by the liability shift in 2017. So we may start to add some additional language or clarify that the liability shift is going to impact a broader part of the market as those timelines start to appear. Randy, as always, I'd like to thank you again for your time. Very informative. Okay, Tracy. You thank, thank you very much as well. Again, we've just heard from Randy Vanderhoof of the EMV Migration Forum. For Information Security Media Group, I'm Tracy Kitten.